Aloha. Welcome back to season two of the Aravinda Show, focused on conscious entrepreneurs. With me, Andrew Crusoe, your host. For today's episode, I got to sit down with Megan Elizabeth. You may have heard of her from her popular Easy to Be Raw YouTube channel or her fantastic vegan recipe books. In this in-depth interview, we first of all, we have way too much fun, and then we explore the power of a raw food diet, her journey to moving to Hawaii and healing her body. Megan's story is remarkable, and I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Thanks for joining me for an interview today, Megan. I am so excited for this. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Of course. Me too. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I One place I would like to start with people um, is what brought you to Hawaii? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, it's a long story kind of. Um, I'll, I'll sum it up. But basically, uh, you know, I started eating a raw food diet. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want to talk about the reasons that I got into that, we can talk about that later, too. Definitely. Um, but I started eating a raw food diet because of different health issues that I was having. And I found that after I changed my diet, I hated the cold even more. And mm. my partner, Joey, uh, he also was eating a mainly raw foods diet and preferred to be in warmer weather where we had access to better produce and just good weather throughout the year. So we started um, experimenting with spending winters in Arizona, hmm. and I wanted to do a uh, water fast. And so I started researching different places to do a water fast just to kind of heal my body because I lived such a toxic lifestyle leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And so I found this fasting facility in Hawaii on the Big Island in the Southeast area. Hmm. And since Joey had been to the Big Island before, I felt excited and comfortable to go visit that island. And um, yeah, so I set it up with the uh, fasting doctor. And I came out here and I did a water fast for 17 days, and then refed on the most amazing fruit. And then after that water fast, the doctor he showed me all around after I kind of got my strength back. He showed me all around that area in the Southeast part of the big Island. And Mm. I just fell in love. And so after that time period, we started to break up our winters in Arizona Mm. and do maybe like five months in Arizona, six months in Arizona. And then we would come out to the big Island for three months and we would stay in that area Mm. that I did the water fast. And I hadn't really explored the rest of the Island very Mm. much, but the more time that we spent here, the more we started to feel like this is where we were supposed to be. And every time I would leave, I would be like, why am I leaving? Like, I don't want to leave. <laughs> and so eventually we just kind of, we actually sat down and wrote a list, pros and cons oh. of living here in Hawaii mm-hmm. for the winters, as well as um, the summer, basically year round almost for about 10 months. Um, versus spending six months in Arizona mm-hmm. and Hawaii won. Wow. That's, there's, so, well, let's, let's back up. Cause I want to hear about the 17 day water fast. Uh, okay. for people who don't know a water fast is basically just drinking water, right? Yeah. Literally just drinking water. That's hardcore. Yeah. It's a confusing term because of fast 
like fasting it means you're abstaining but it's mm-hmm. more like a water feast mm. um you know you're drinking over a gallon of water a day mm-hmm. and um it's not something i recommend for weight loss it's not something i recommend for anyone who has any kind of disordered eating yeah. um it is purely for healing and resting and you should not be doing any activity when you're doing a water fast you should be doing nothing but resting it reminds me of i did something called the master cleanse which you may have heard Mm -hmm. of i did that as well and yeah that's the closest i've come to that and in the master cleanse you're getting all most of your calories from grade b maple syrup and the first couple days i measured it wrong and did the conversion wrong and i was having (laughs) like half of the maple syrup that i needed and i thought that i was going to lose my mind because i didn't wasn't getting any calories and i have a pretty fast metabolism so i can only imagine how intense a water fast is i mean i've I followed other people like uh, Steve Pavlina has done various mm-hmm. water fasts and things. And it's, I just, it's amazing. I, I'd like to try it, but I would need, uh, it need to be the right time and place. Yeah. And it's great to do it under supervision. I was working with a doctor who had like, you know, so many hours of fasting experience. I just worked with so many people and, um, I was also able to get blood work done throughout the fast to monitor my situation. Uh, that'd make me feel much better. I'm like, okay, I'm making sure that I'm not doing you know, I'm not pushing my body too hard. What kind of feedback were you getting with the blood work as you were as you were doing that? Well, so they were checking different hormone levels, um, checking my liver enzymes and things like that. I don't remember exactly everything that we were getting tested, but yeah, there were some requirements to it leading up, and then on it, they were just I guess there's specific things that they that they look for while you're fasting, and so they were monitoring all of those things <laughs> just to make sure you're going to be okay, kind of thing. Yeah, and to make sure that your electrolytes are also not out of balance because mm. if that happens, you can have really crazy symptoms. And that is ultimately why I broke my fast is because my electrolytes started to get a little bit wonky and it was just not a good idea to continue anymore. Yeah, because with the water fast, you're not really getting any electrolytes, are you? Yeah, you're basically only getting whatever minerals are present in the water. So I was drinking well water. Um, That's so good. it definitely had more going on in it than the average like reverse osmosis or bottled uh, processed spring water. But um, yeah, but what your body does is when it's in a fasting state is it kind of stops releasing certain nutrients and it'll try to like hold on to certain nutrients, except for, you know, your water soluble nutrients. That's kind of something that can get thrown off, but Hmm. you have a, a sort of window, like you could go like 30 days and be pretty good for a lot of people. If you're starting with, you know, not, not having blood sugar issues and stuff like that. If you have diabetes or certain issues that you just like, you cannot fast, but. Right. I'm sure insulin issues or mm-hmm. various probably hormonal or thyroid issues would probably make it more challenging to do that. Definitely. Uh, but, uh, but 17 days is, <laughs> I mean, what kind of benefits did you see from that? Was that primarily like a, a detoxification? I know we hear a lot about detoxifying and some people say, you know, detoxifying is not necessary. Some people say that detoxifying mm. is really helpful and there's different degrees of that. What were the main benefits that you saw after 17 days? My intentions going into it were kind of to heal my adrenals and like nervous system because I just kind of destroyed <laughs> destroyed my adrenals from years of not sleeping and drinking caffeine and just burning the candle at both ends. So that was my biggest intention. And I have to say, in hindsight, it was not the 
if you have adrenal issues, fasting is not really the way to heal it. There's like nothing that can make up for just consistently having a good schedule, a good sleep schedule and being on a, a proper diet that's, you know, not irritating to your body and causing insulin spikes. But my, I did notice a lot of benefits um, afterwards. One of them was that I felt really mentally clear, mm. very just happy, so much gratitude. Mm. Um, it was almost like kind of like being reborn in a, in a very <laughs> small way because you're, you're breaking down like so many emotional attachments to food and to mm. marking your day and your time with meals and things like that. And so there's so much that you have to let go of and you kind of feel almost inhuman for a period of time. Yeah, just like, yeah. I'm just like a slug. And then, uh, <laughs> and then coming back to that and then getting to like live again and, and taste amazing foods, everything mm. tasted amazing. Mm. And also another huge benefit was my digestion was mm. incredible mm. afterwards. More um, it definitely was more efficient, almost no bloating ever from anything. It just really felt like it it bumped up my digestion mm. a lot, which was something that I had a lot of issues with right before I got into raw food. So that was really helpful. And also my skin mm. was just like incredible. It felt like baby skin. Wow. Um, it really <laughs> regenerated my skin a lot. And um, yeah, that was a huge benefit as well. It's so funny how our skin can be a mirror to our health. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. And I've always been someone who has had skin issues as well. When I was younger, I was on Accutane and I would attribute mm. a lot of the health issues that I had as a young adult to taking Accutane and other medications that I took as a teenager. Didn't you do a video on that? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Because it's a bad idea you know, to take Accutane. Apparently. When I took Accutane, I didn't realize that it was, it was like formulated from a chemotherapy drug. So wow, that was pretty shocking to find out. And I was pretty angry because when I was a kid, like you know, you have acne and you just want it to go away Yeah, and you're very short-sighted. And I feel like just hearing that it was like a serious drug was not enough. Like if someone had told me this is a chemotherapy drug, I probably would have been like, Ooh, maybe not. <laughs> like, maybe I'll wait on that. <laughs> so, so you, you go through this process of the water fast, you're resetting. It sounds like you even reset probably your internal flora and fauna too in your colon yeah. I, I, I don't want to talk about poop too much but yeah that's what it felt like <laughs> it definitely it, it gives your good bacteria a chance to just kind of get happy again <laughs> and uh the bad stuff i guess doesn't have anything to feed on and it definitely just felt like an amazing reset and i'm sure on some level it was really detoxifying to my body as well. You know, we're not like cars. I can't plug myself in and be like, I detoxed this much, but <laughs> I felt cleaner. I felt a lot cleaner and it, it, it definitely inspired me to continue my clean diet after that as well. Have you read this research that's come out in the last few years that talks about how basically some bacteria in your gut really, really love sugar. There's certain species that like junk food this is a theory mm -hmm. that's coming out. So when you change your diet, some of these cravings that we get actually could be connected to signals coming from that bacteria. Have you, have, have you heard this research? I have heard that. Yeah. I, I watched a video on it recently and um, I would have to agree with that because yeah, there's a lot of um, information that shows that the microbiome in our gut is responsible for so many different things within our body, our immune system, our... Um, Even mood. 
yeah, our mental health and well-being is so dependent on how good our situation is in our stomach. And I would absolutely believe that. So when you're talking about you went to the southeast part of the island, were you in Pahoa for this? I actually lived in Pahoa. Yeah, yeah. So it was like Pahoa, I guess, mailing address. The neighborhood was actually uh, Kapoho. Oh, yeah. I know Kapoho. That's way on the east side, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like right on the tip. And it probably has the some of the best weather, I would say, in that area, even during the winter, during the rainy season. And some of the cleanest air, too, if you look at the VOG reports. Yeah, it's actually the cleanest air in the world at that spot. Wow. There's a there's a lighthouse and they've measured it at that point. is It's like the longest distance between another landmass and it has the cleanest air in the world right there. Oh, yeah, the East Point Lighthouse. There's a That's a really cool spot. That's a really, really cool spot. So how, how long did it take you to transition to the Big Island? What was that process like? Yeah, so I'm somebody who's very social. And if I don't get enough social time, I will go crazy if I don't have like a good, solid friend group. And my partner, Joey, is very introverted. So mm. he's totally fine, like just hanging out with me and spending a lot of time alone. Mm. And... I definitely found it challenging when we initially moved out to Arizona and we would be out there for six months. I was like kind of getting a little nuts and we used to host these meetups and eventually we started making some friends out there, which was really great. But then when we came out here, we didn't really know anybody. And I have to say there wasn't very, there was definitely community going on down there, but it wasn't like a community that I really wanted to insert myself into. Totally down with the hippie vibes. (laughs) But there's a lot of people in that area, which I really loved, mm-hmm. that are just like not very work oriented. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of be like, you know, a working tree hugger and yeah, stay yeah. motivated. And I feel like the people that I surround myself really affect me and how much I can focus and get things done. So when we first came out mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. Uh, we would come out for three months at a time. And that's kind of all I could handle without knowing a lot of people. And I could meet people here and there. And it seemed like, I think it was three years in a row that we came out for Mm -hmm. three months at a time. Mm -hmm. And each time I would meet a few more people and I would feel more like, okay, I can spend more time here. Um, Until we just made that decision, we were like, you know what, we got to just commit and we need to just start inviting our friends out here. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And that's Mm -hmm. how we've been able to have such an awesome community out here is literally just deciding like, okay, I'm going to be here Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to start building a community. Yeah. It's, it's funny what you say about the Southeast part of the Island, because I could definitely see how you would feel that way. There are a lot of people who are a little more go with the flow. (laughs) And there's, (laughs) and there's there's a lot of people that just don't have uh, strong goals, unfortunately in pockets of Pune. Whereas I think in Hilo, where you are, I think it's more, I mean, I would argue that Hilo is the only true city on the island. Kona feels more like a town to me. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a different vibe. And I love, people who haven't been to Hilo, they, they need to go. It's one of the most, it gets the most rain, I think, of any city in America, first of all. Yeah, come in the, su- come in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, come in the summertime. But uh, so, so... Did you know that you wanted to go to Hilo? Did you, or did you, had you, how much research did you do? Well, so we, I've lived in all different places over the island. So I started off in that Southeast area. We would do our three month stay in that area. Right. And then we decided to do a one year lease the first year that we officially decided to live here. So 
Then we lived in the neighborhood Seaview, which you probably know. Love Seaview. We lived in Seaview right next to that space market before they moved it. Yeah. So it was every Saturday, awesome farmer's market, like three houses down from our place. When did you live over there? I wonder if you were there at the same time I was. It's possible. I think it was uh, 2014, maybe. That's when I left. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we moved out there 2013 in November and then stayed through 2014. Uh, but then the lava started to come through. So we... Yes. <laughs> we should talk about that for a second. <laughs> yeah. So the lava is constantly flowing down in that area. There's no buildup. It's just, oh, it's an ever flowing situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can change directions and the direction that it was going, as you probably remember, it was going to cut <laughs> off the road to get to Hilo, which is like the main place where you go shopping and stuff. And it was going to turn a 45 minute drive into like a two and a half hour drive. Or impossible for some people. Like the only other road was not very good. It would have, yes. in, it functionally would have cut off the Southeast part of the Island from everything else. There's only yeah. one road going in and out of Pahoa and, and which goes down into Seaview, the greater Puna area, the district of Puna would be totally cut off and people lost their minds. Some people, and some people were super chill about it. Well, yeah. And, and the, the thing is too, is like, they wouldn't have been able to you know, like, okay, so lava covers up the road, but they wouldn't have been able to just very quickly fix that situation because no. the lava could constantly change directions. It could be flowing in that direction for a long time. But it was it was moving in this direction that was burning a lot of trees, and the smoke was blowing into Seaview, into the neighborhood. So it smelled like a campfire. Oh, I didn't know that. All the time, and we were getting ready to renew our lease in that house in Seaview, and we were like, you know what, this is not going to be good for us to be mm-hmm. breathing this in all the time. Mm-hmm. We're like, let's go to Kona side for six months and check it out. Oh yeah. And then we ended up living there for a year. So mm-hmm. I lived on Kona side for a year, right on Elite Drive, um, in a townhouse community oh wow and we did like the you know oh we're like the sporty runners like for for a a year that's a great place to run first of all it very very rarely rains for people who don't know the west side and the east side of the big island are like night and day yeah you know it, it it just is very very dry and very warm and yeah you could probably run whenever you want year round yes and it was amazing and it was like a fun running obstacle course because I used to run down Elite Drive, uh, which is the coastal road. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the main road where all the shops are and that's where all the tourists are. And we were pretty, we were about a mile from, if you know where that downtown farmer's market is, we were about a mile from there. So I would run wow. along that place and I would kind of like weave in and out through tourists and it was really <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. Are you a morning runner? Yeah, I'm a morning runner. At, like good. sometime before... 10 a.m. usually. I like to do either my run or work out, something like that. I was a morning runner and then winter happened and I'm in Wisconsin and I got yeah. I got a little lazy, but other tr- other other climates, I'm pretty consistent. It's such a it's great really way to... It's really hard to get out of bed and do it when it's cold. Yeah, when it's, when it's 20 Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't experienced 20 in a while, but I've experienced maybe 30, 40. It's cold. It reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of the first time it was cold on Hawaii and people don't believe you and you say it gets cold on Hawaii, but it does for a little bit, right? And my 
area that I live at, it's very much dependent on to like the elevation that you're at. And yeah, I'm at a 70, 750 foot elevation, um, just outside of downtown Hilo. Mm-hmm. And it can get in the mid to high fifties at night, sometimes in the winter mm-hmm. here. And we don't have insulation and yep. there's no heating. So you just have to like get warm by putting layers on yeah. and blankets yeah. and have a mattress warmer. <laughs> nice. I have an electric blanket, which keeps me alive. But it's really only like a month or two. I feel that it's like where you're like, oh, it's cold. But like, honestly, on the <laughs> East Coast, with the same weather, they'd be like, oh, it's a nice day today. And you're just yeah. like, you're like, it's freezing. Well, that's the thing. I have, I have a lot of family here in Wisconsin and they're like, it's not cold in Hawaii. It's like, yeah, okay, I get it. Like in Wisconsin, when it's 60, it's summertime and people are freaking out. It's like Sweden. But you know, I, there was one time I was camping and I was having so much trouble falling asleep because I was so cold. I needed more layers. Mm. And I'm like, it must be, it must be 50. It must be really yeah. cold. Yeah. And I look at the thermometer and it said 60 degrees. And I was like, <laughs> I've lost all upper Midwest cred. Yeah, you're acclimated now. <laughs> but it was 100% humidity. And that's why it goes right through. Right. <laughs> So I guess that brings me to, to Hilo. We did the Kona thing for a year. And then um, I actually lived in just a little bit of micro bit of drama. Um, Joey and I broke up temporarily and I lived in California for eight months. And then I ended up moving back to the island. And when I moved back to the island, I moved to Hilo. And um, everybody else decided to as well. Can I ask what brought you back after California? Um, I just missed my friends. I missed yeah. my community and, um, yeah, that was, that was the main thing. That's a, that's a, that's a really understandable. This kind of touches on sort of a bigger pattern that I see is that sometimes, sometimes it's hard to keep, I, I don't know if this is the case in your situation was the case in your situation, but sometimes it's hard to keep balance between your romantic relationship and your social relationships. You know, when you want to get away from something, maybe <laughs> it's hard to have balance. I don't know. Right. I think that that's definitely what I was going through is like when we broke up, there's no way that I could have lived here and been around Joey and like been in that situation. So I just I needed to remove myself from it mm-hmm. completely and, you know, just do something else for a while. And that's what I did. And that's when a lot of people notice they're like, why aren't you filming videos? I'm like, well, I'm just doing my own thing for a bit. <laughs> and that's totally it's totally a good thing and a healthy thing to do. To re reassess what you want, get in touch with your inner voice. Yeah, it was helpful. But yeah. it was really amazing to be able to come back and realize like, oh, I still have this amazing community of friends and to be re-accepted and rekindle all of those relationships. And then to slowly, you know, rekindle the relationship with Joey as well and kind of come at it from a different angle because mm. we, we don't live together anymore. Right. Joey and I did an interview with uh, Connor and Brittany on their channel. Yeah, and those guys are great, too. <laughs> we talked about the whole breakup and, like, more details about why I was living in California and stuff like that. And well, maybe we'll put that in the show notes if you want. <laughs> People can sure. understand that's, where you're coming from. That's fine. Yeah. I pride myself on useful show notes. I feel like there's so many places we could go from here, Megan. Uh, I mean, is it... Uh, I, I'm just going to ask the question that's, that's uh, on my heart, which is, were you... A f- afraid or hesitant i i knew somebody who had one of their mantras was the second time around it's already over and 
I didn't, I've, I've had periods of my life where I've agreed with that. And I've had periods of my life where I didn't agree with that at all. And I don't know. You, you can, you can talk about that as much as you want. I was just curious yeah, how you felt about that question. Um, yeah, definitely makes me think. So Joey and I have had multiple. I don't think that that's true necessarily. I think it depends. I, I, th- I think it's just person to person, probably, yeah. or couple to couple, because um, a lot of the, the issues that we've had in our relationships have to deal with me and and probably my own commitment issues and my own Myers Briggs personality of getting bored easily and um, <laughs> spontaneous and yeah. So there's things that I. I work on and learn about myself every time we break up. So Hmm. I think that we're not like a traditional couple Hmm. in like, Oh, we're just falling back together because we're comfortable and we're just like lonely or something. Hmm. Every time that we've taken breaks and then come back together, I feel like I learn how to better be myself within the relationship and to allow Hmm. him to be his self and take the time that he needs. And, um, I really enjoy the way that our relationship is now because we started off um, dating for six months Mm -hmm. initially. Then we started living together Mm. and, um, and changes a lot, doesn't it? I've had a similar experience. Yeah, it does change a lot (laughs) as you might know, like, you know, when you're, when you're just dating somebody, you don't live with them you, you don't see every side of them. And, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, but um, (laughs) you don't see every side and maybe we don't need to see every side. Mm. And Mm, I mm -hmm. feel like there's a lot of romance and mystery that is lost on immediately living together. Mm -hmm. And also um, there's no time to really miss each other. And, and, maybe more so for Joey and I, because we both worked from home. Mm. We didn't have jobs that we went to. So it wasn't like we were away from each other all day and then we'd come home. We're like, Oh, I missed you today. So you're around but each like, other all the time. That's pretty intense. All the time. And we're working together. So it was, it was pretty intense and we balanced it really well for the most part. But then I would have these, these kind of, I could just call them my ENF, P moments. I was going to guess ENFP. <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm classic. Uh, it's my moments where I'm just like, very classic. Ah, I need to go to Europe and like make out with a random European dude and forget that I'm 30. Like, you know, <laughs> and uh, just kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's you're not that. 30. I'm 31. No, we're the same age. Really? That's incredible. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm about to turn 32. This next. <gasps> I'm really enjoying this, first of all. (laughs) I feel like we should talk about Myers-Briggs a little bit for people who don't know what it is. It basically is a, how would you describe Myers-Briggs? I would say that it's a way for us to like very easily identify the ways in which we all function differently so that we don't Hmm. take things personally with other people's personalities. It's, it's, it sort of classifies different types of personalities. There's 16 different ones mm-hmm. and it breaks things down into, um, you know, your, your primary and secondary functions of like who you really are, how you perceive mm-hmm. the world, how you interact with people and, um, how you make choices and things like that. And it makes it so much better to understand yourself 
and understand the people around you so that you can have the best quality of relationships possible, I think. Hmm. That's a really good summary. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I could have summed it up better myself. It's also really useful to think about it in terms of how it points to strengths and maybe things you're not so strong at, even in your career. I believe it was originally developed by the military to figure out, um, or some version of it was developed to figure out where to put people. It was originally developed by two women who weren't even scientists or anything. They took uh, Carl Jung's work on studying different personality types, and they uh, yeah. formulated this test called the Myers-Briggs test originally. Uh, and it was to place people in work. I'm not sure. It could have been initially for the military. Maybe it was adapted later. Yes. And then it's just been modified and improved upon in so many different ways. And one of my favorite sites that goes really in depth is 16personalities.com. Yep. I've read, you know, it's got the premium reports and everything like that. And they're just oh wow, so incredible. They do a really great job. So when I talked to Drew, who uh, has come out two episodes before this in the chronology, he was talking about how he's noticed that most of the vegans that he meets have the same personality type or two or the same two. There is a, a concentration of a couple different ones. And that's amazing to me. <laughs> it's really interesting. So there's this huge concentration of ENFPs in yeah. the vegan vegetarian world. And I think it's because they're one of the more empathetic personality types. Ah, and they have empathy for the creatures that they're eating. And another concentration is INFJ. Mm. And they are also very empathetic people. They're not as expressive as the ENFPs are, but they are, um, they're very, they're more like introverted, but they're like very deep feelers and very empathetic. Well, I really enjoy ENFPs, so that was really nice to hear when Drew said that. I was like, oh, wow. And you think it's just because it's that, I mean, obviously the N type, I, I don't know if we want to break down all the letters. People can look it up. It's, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. But the N, the second letter, the intuitive, is basically how people communicate. Um, it's how it's been explained to me. And is it is it the F part? Is it the feeling part that makes people more uh, likely to be vegans? What do you think about the Myers Briggs kind of biases people of a certain type to be vegan? Is it the feeling instead of the thinking? Is it the um, intuitive? I don't feel like the extroversion versus introversion would necessarily have too much of an effect, but I'm just wondering. Yeah, it's I think it's the combo of the N F. Hmm. A lot of people think that the letters are just kind of things that stand individually for different things. Mm -hmm. But if that was the case, then like an INFP and an ENFP would be like a similar personality type, but just introverted versus extroverted. But mm -hmm. it's actually very different the way that all the letters relate to each other. So the outside letters are usually um, relating to the inside letters in pointing out which is your like dominant versus um, auxiliary function. So an ENFP, what would be the dominant? What would be the auxiliary? Let me see. I think it was, I think it's that you have extroverted feeling and, or maybe it's extroverted intuition and. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Because so it's that's like a way of relating. Right. So the, like an introvert would have, if they have a, a T, let's say like an INTJ, 
um, the introvert, their dominant function would be the thinking feeling. And, you know, so if you're an I and mm. TJ, then you're going to be like your dominant, like characteristic is going to be like your thinking. And then mm. if you are an E, then maybe your dominant thing is going to be your intuition. And you kind of like direct it like, like an introverted person, their intuition would be directed within an extroverted person. Their intuition is directed without like outside of their body to their surroundings. So it's, it's more than just the individual letters and what those letters mean. It's how they relate to each other. I'm not explaining it in the most perfect way, but you can read about it. And uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. People, people can check out, we can put uh, 16 personalities.com in the show notes and it's a really amazing site. And I think it gives, I think it's a free Mm -hmm. quiz too. And what's great about the Myers-Briggs test inventory is that there's no right and wrong, really. It's just preferences. So people can do all these things. Like even Mm -hmm. extroverts have moments of introversion and vice versa, but it's what we prefer to do, how we prefer to think. Yeah. It's our dominant preference and where we need to go to kind of like rejuvenate. You know, do you need a lot of alone time to uh, rejuvenate yourself or do you need more people time? I'm a people time kind of person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to your business in a minute. I'm just providing some background to this. And in a way, in retrospect, do you feel like you're sort of biased to be vegan in that way? Because of my personality type? Sure. <laughs> I think it's a fair question to ask. It's very possible. I believe that... I believe that any probably ENFP presented with the option as a child and given the right information would um, the majority of them would probably choose to be vegetarian or vegan because they're so connected to their outside world. So the, the people and animals outside of them and also their ability to be empathetic and have strong mm-hmm. feelings are so apparent. So yeah, I probably did have a bias. And as a child, I really struggled with eating meat And Mm -hmm. I I remember just always getting teased at family functions because there was a large period of time when I was a kid that I just, I didn't call myself a vegetarian, but I Mm -hmm. just was like, I would look at meat and I would just kind of be like, ew, like, what is this? I can't eat this. (laughs) I would inspect it. I would look at the veins and I'd be like, mom, it like, this looks like dead (laughs) stuff. Like, ew, I can't eat this. (laughs) I was so confused why everybody was enjoying it, but as I got Did older, you have a connection? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had a really strong connection with animals too. I just wanted everything to be my pet. I was like, hamster, bird, lizard, guinea pig, like every little pet that I could like have, I wanted it. I just wanted to pet everything. And yeah, but I feel like a lot of kids are like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to varying degrees. But so this leads into my next question, the segue, which is why is veganism important to you? I'm guessing your an understanding of veganism and your the way you approach it has changed and morphed. You know, you had this great channel on YouTube for a long time called Easy to Be Raw, which we'll link to in the show notes. And now you're transitioning to have had for a, over a year now, I think, a new channel that's even better. Uh, did you start in raw veganism or did you start in vegetarianism? What what was that like for you? I started in raw veganism and as I wow. like got older when I was a kid I was like I would say I was mainly vegetarian um whenever I had the option to be as a teen I started to eat more animal products and more meat 
simply because I think I became numb to it. I think as everyone does, as they grow up, you mm-hmm. just see the same thing over and over again and you just kind of become numb to it. And part of the culture. Yeah. And I, I was very, definitely desensitized by being exposed to it. And I started to eat more like processed meats. I couldn't really ever eat like a big chunk of steak. I would like look mm-hmm. at that and just be like, that just looks like a big, like you just chopped that right off of the, the animal. I just can't even eat that. And I yeah, actually me never, neither, to be honest. Yeah, I've never even eaten anything off of a bone. I've never had ribs. I've really? Never had, like chicken wings. I couldn't touch the bone because I was like, this is a bone, like from it's an animal. Bone. Like, ew, yeah. I don't want to touch that. Like, take it off and then I'll eat it. <laughs> Did your family give you grief about that? Like, why aren't you eating this chicken bone? There's people starving in Africa. You know, Did that ever come up? My parents were pretty, they were pretty sensitive and okay with it. Um, it was more so my extended family. When we would go for like Christmas, mm. Thanksgiving, stuff like that, they'd be like, oh, you're, mm. you're still eating just veggies? Like I basically for Thanksgiving, uh, I would just eat like a huge thing of mashed potatoes. And I was so happy. Like I yeah. love potatoes. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah. sure. Eat your like cat food. I'm going to eat these <laughs> potatoes. Um, eat your cat food. <laughs> it smelled like, it's like turkey was smelled like cat food to me. I was like, ew. Huh. Um, so anyway, sorry. I'm I guess back. I could see that. No, that was great. I'm getting I've sidetracked. Just, no, no. This is a one of the segues are, I mean, being sidetracked can be good sometimes. It's a happy detour. I'm just thinking mashed potatoes can be a really good go-to if you're trying to avoid. But the holidays do feel like a battleground. I was vegetarian for over 10 years before I went vegan. And it was never ending having to re-explain no i don't really want to it's just a personal choice i'm not trying to attack anybody i'm not trying to attack you i just that's not what i want to eat and it's not personal but it's hard for people because people take it personal they do even when you're you're like this is my plate i'm not Mm -hmm. saying what you should or shouldn't put on your plate but they feel defensive Mm -hmm. about it because they know on some level that it's not right and i mean right i use i Try not to use the words right and wrong too often. It's more, it's, it's all relative to. A, a Buddhist would say it's not skillful to to kill a cow. Yeah, it's not in our <laughs> like what we what we say we want, uh, like our actions and our words don't line up because we say we love animals but we kill them and we eat them. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a point that can cause people to become defensive. Well, it's that old weird dichotomy of these animals are my pets. And these animals are my dinner. And then you go, seems kind of arbitrary. Yeah, it's really <laughs> Why are these species our pets and these species not? We're just really good at dissociation. Oh, human beings are so good at not knowing what the right hand's doing when the left hand's doing something else. It's yeah. a unique talent of human beings. Yes. <laughs> Usually I say, I preface when we get on this topic and I say, believe it or not, this is not a vegan podcast. This is an entrepreneur season of this podcast (laughs) season two is about conscious entrepreneurs but your business is so centered around veganism and empowering people and i think also in a very big way inspiring people to try much healthier recipes and recipes that aren't really that difficult a lot of times Um, no they're they're so like stupidly simple sometimes Stupidly simple and often cheaper. And um, dairy and meat can be very expensive, especially okay. on tropical islands where they have to ship it thousands of miles. <laughs> That's so but, true. Yeah, a lot of people are like, "Isn't it so expensive to eat out there?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding? Like, I just go to the farmers market and there's like so much 
amazing cheap fruit and vegetables. I definitely am not spending more to live here and eat here than I would if I was living in Pennsylvania. So why would I live in Pennsylvania? I would live in Hawaii. <laughs> Amen to that. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that's something that needs to be said as people have this stigma and it's, you know, you have to go and you have to try it for yourself. It's one, it's one thing to think something when you're on the outside looking in, but to understand the truth of the situation, you kind of have to be in the inside looking in and then you know what's going on. Yeah. I think we judge situations on the outside looking in and we think we have all the information and you know, maybe in a way that's not so bad with Hawaii because we don't want Hawaii to get crowded. So shh, don't share this podcast. Well, the thing is, is like there's just really specific pockets that are affordable and not everybody can really appreciate those places. Um, the mm. places that are just kind of happily accepted and loved by all are more of the tourist areas. And people right. go there and they don't ever feel like, you know, they definitely feel the magic of like, oh, I'm getting my vitamin D and I'm like drunk on the beach. This is great. Um, and I'm just like <laughs> shopping and I have no worries. But um, right, right. a lot of people don't leave, let's say, Waikiki feeling like I want to live here because it's a right. different world. It's, you know, it's right. kind of superficial. So this is a different experience of Hawaii, as you know, from living here mm -hmm. for a period of time that this island is very different than the other ones. And it's um, it's just it's homey, you know? Yeah. It's, it's homey. And I think that it's one of the few places where it still feels very local in the majority of the areas to me. Mm -hmm. There are a few exceptions, but most of it's like, well, it still feels like old Hawaii. What I'm, what I, what I can intuit that what old Hawaii felt like from just going to talks with elders and things. And they're talking about how, you know, along the red road here, there were tribes and there were like battle spot here. And mm -hmm. now then it became sugarcane and the history of just the big Island alone is amazing. It, yeah. It, it's hard to sum up Hawaii, the Island, not the state. Yeah. And I don't know. I, 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 it's impossible to sum it up. I love that Island so much. And that's why I'm going back, but we should probably segue to, <laughs> well, there are no shoulds. There are no shoulds. Right. But I would love to segue from veganism and the beautiful place that you've, manifested for yourself to live into how was your business born? How did it start? Did you start on YouTube and was that your first major way of sharing things on, on the web? Did you, and part two of that would be, did you see that as becoming a business over time or did it start as kind of a fun thing or an experiment? Um, you know, I have to give Joey so much credit for, helping me start the business and working with me on that. Sure. When I met him, um, so I, I initially started my sort of raw food career working in Arnold's Way, uh, which is a raw vegan restaurant and health food center that it's in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. An amazing place. And Arnold himself is just a fascinating, quirky individual. And Arnold's Way. Yeah. And that is where Joey and I met. And, um, it's also where my dad met his girlfriend too. A lot of people meet there. And, um, <laughs> I met some of my, my other really good friends at that cafe as well, because they used to host potlucks. So that's where I met Joey. Similar values bring people together. And the potlucks at this place, there's actually a really huge older community of raw food and vegan people in this area that come to those potlucks. And there would only be like a few young people that would show up. And so myself, <laughs> Joey and my friend Ryan, who lives out here now, we were like kind of the 
consistent crew that would come to these potlucks and just kind of have our own little, little, uh, young people party. (laughs) This is the young person table. Yeah. Because you know, we we just were like kind of a minority and we're like, Oh yay. Like people like me. So I met Joey and I think from the moment that he met me, he created a, he created a vision for me that I didn't even know about which sounds kind of weird. Wow. It sounds kind of weird because the whole way I thought I was making <laughs> all of these choices and moving things forward. But I think he just had this like dream and this vision for what he would like a relationship to be like and what he would like to have in a partner. And he always wanted to work with somebody on video and to build a business with somebody. And so I think when he mm. first met me, he just like started this uh, just putting that out there in the universe and it just kind of slowly yeah. fell into place without me even realizing that there was <laughs> a plan because it was never said to me. So. Wow. Intention manifestation. Yeah. Oh. So it initially started by just creating my first book, which was just called easy to be raw. That was the book. And I had no intention of starting a business called easy to be raw or a YouTube channel start called easy to be raw. I just made this book. And the book was inspired um, because I had read Doug Graham's 801010. I had seen his um, high energy recipe book. And then I had also, um, I worked at the cafe and I was trained as a uh, gourmet raw vegan chef. And I basically wanted to combine these two things because I felt like Doug's recipes were a little bit too simple for me. And I felt like a lot of people wouldn't be able to relate to them and that they would be really boring. <laughs> and sorry, whose recipes? Doug Graham, the, the author of 801010 and the, oh, yes, the yes, high yes. energy diet. So I feel like if you were a, a seasoned pro at raw food or a high fruit diet, then you would really enjoy those recipes. But coming from a regular diet, it would be a very challenging transition for a lot of people. Mm. But I also felt like gourmet raw was not really obtainable for people outside of a cafe, nor was it really a healthy thing because it's still very mm. high fat, very processed and yes, rich food. It's better than a lot of other things for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's very rich, very dense. It's just really heavy food and there's a lot of spices. Yeah. A lot of oil. <laughs> so, and probably not the best transition for people if they just want to start doing raw. Is it, is it a difficult transition because of the complexity or of the ingredients? Um, both of it, because you do a lot of dehydrating. There's a lot of different techniques that you have to use to try to simulate cooked food. And mm-hmm. so like in some ways, it's like almost more processed than some cooked foods, even though it's still technically raw. So huh. I feel like it's not necessarily unhealthy and it can be a lot healthier than regular vegan food to be eating a higher fat or gourmet raw diet, but it's just not practical because it's hard to do in your home. It's, it would be easy if you could just go out to a restaurant and like have somebody make you salads and raw (laughs) sandwiches and crackers and dips and things like that. It'd be easy if you could just afford to buy all of your food from a raw food restaurant, but it's expensive to do that. And it's not practical to really do in your home because it takes a lot of time. So that's why I, I, I really loved the simplicity of the fruit based mm. lower fat diet mm. and wanted mm-hmm. to sort of marry the two. And so that's why I made my book easy to be raw. Mm. And that's where it started. And actually while I was on my water fast, mm-hmm. I, um, well, I guess I should backtrack just slightly. 
the first video that I was ever on that went onto YouTube was on Arnold's channel and Arnold has his own YouTube channel. Okay. So Joey also, yeah, (laughs) Arnold's got a crazy channel, but he is like got the biggest heart ever. I already feel, I get the vibe. He's, he's a real character. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I haven't even seen a picture of him yet. I don't know. I just get this feeling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're going to just be like, Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I I have not spent much time in the East Coast. Some some I had a great trip there once, but uh, I'm not familiar with him. I should look him up. Yeah, but we'll put him in the show notes definitely. He's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's he really is the guy that I I feel like helped me to save my life because I was so oh. sick and he just took me under his wing and I was like just I was like I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll just help yeah. me. So he did. I want to live again. Yeah. So he did. I want to live um, again. Well, I, this was, was this when you were bedridden for 10 months? Yeah. And, and, uh, so that was. Cause you have a great video, which I should also link to. I will also link to about your weird, you call, you call it your weird health story. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's amazing what you went through and it really did create this like, well, I, it's a clean slate. And it sounded like through that process, you also shed a lot of uh, social connections that maybe weren't serving you. Absolutely. It it gave you an opportunity to like, what is the person that I really want to be on here on this planet? I feel like I'm a different person when I think about the things I used to do and the people I used to spend time with when I was younger. I mean, I know we all change, but I really feel like a different person because I was so, I was mean. I was cynical. I wasn't happy. Hmm. You were mean? I was mean. Yeah. I can't imagine you being mean. I can't imagine me now being mean, but, <laughs> but I was very mean. Um, I was just, yeah, I was a very, very different person. Did you have any siblings that you were mean to? No. I mean, I have a sibling, but I wasn't necessarily mean to him. It was more just like, <laughs> just kind of like school stuff. And like my friends were just, we all were just sarcastic all the time. Just mm, always yeah. like making jokes about each other. And it was just constant. Like you always had to like have your guard up. And so it kind of like trained me to be like that. Um, yeah. And it was a really rough. And I, I remember like going to Arnold's and like people started hugging me. And I was like, I was, like what are you doing? Hugging? <laughs> well, no, like I always was somebody who would try and like hug my friends and then they would be like, get off me. And I would be like, okay. <laughs> um, and I got in trouble in kindergarten for hugging people because I was so affectionate. Yeah. That's the story my dad likes to tell. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I grew up hugging is the best, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, I grew up like with my mom being very affectionate. So I was a very affectionate person, but I like had trouble mm-hmm. I didn't really have an outlet for it because I was like my friends were so mean and I was just so mean and like everybody was always on guard and so there was never was open. a proper outlet for yeah. that. Okay, but I'm getting off track. You asked me about business stuff. <laughs> so yeah. it's cool. That's cool. So I I made this book and then I started filming videos with Arnold on his Mm -hmm. YouTube channel and we called it the Megan and Arnold show. And so we would talk about health. We would talk about raw food. We would share um, if somebody would come into the cafe that had an amazing recovery story about say they healed breast cancer or um, they had heart disease or something like that. We would do a video with them and ask them questions and just kind of like try to spread the word. And mm-hmm. then I think it was right. Yeah. It was like right when we moved out to Arizona, 
I initially got a job at this vegetarian vegan cafe and I was going to be doing like their raw food desserts there. And I just like, I don't know. I had such a great experience working at Arnold's that I, I was like, I hate this place. I can't do it. Oh, <laughs> um, nothing could compare. Yeah. So I, I did it for just a very short period of time. And then I talked mm-hmm. to Joey and he's like, well, why don't we, you know, why don't we start doing videos and you can advertise your book and maybe you can make some income that way. And I was like, okay, let's do that. So, so I started uh, my mm. YouTube channel. I think it was, I want to say like 2010 or 2011. It's pretty early days for yeah. YouTube in a way. Yeah. And I mean, YouTube only started in 2005. Yeah, it was a really different ballgame when I started. It was kind of like, you know, you, you make a good quality video and you put it up and people are going to watch it and they're going to be nice and they're going to comment and subscribe <laughs> or whatever. And like now... You, you were on there when people were nice? Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. They were really nice. Um, <laughs> and, and now it's just kind of like really kind of junked up Imagine and there's a that. lot of clickbait you know and so now oh. like, it didn't feel like you were competing back then it just felt like mm-hmm. i've got this thing to share and i'm gonna share mm-hmm. it and then people mm-hmm. were like excited about it and now it kind of feels like okay i need to do all this research to pick the best title and the best topic uh, and it's a hot topic and feels like you know, a chore. it's, it's going to be competing with this other thing and um yeah so it's a very different ball game now and so that's why i've yeah. had my had my periods of being stressed about it. And then now mm. I kind of have a different approach because, because I had to, I had to change the way I was looking at it and just kind of continue to do what I, mm. what mm. I love and what feels good instead of trying to compete. Yeah. So we started filming videos in Arizona and then it just, yeah. it started to grow. The first video that went up on my channel was a contest for living light culinary institute they had a valentine's day contest and so that was my first video i entered in that contest and it got me a lot of subscribers wow and it really inspired me like a lot of people were like oh can you keep doing videos i'm like okay yeah i'm gonna do it (laughs) so it was a good little launching point and then it just kind of grew from there and i tried to stay fairly consistent was doing one video every week consistency is really helpful with that kind of thing oh my gosh yeah it was very very helpful and now the type of consistency that you need to really grow is, is like two to three videos a week. And I don't love doing that. I'm not a content cranker, you know, it comes from the heart and I'm going to keep doing what feels good. So. Well, one thing I noticed from watching one of the video, one of your videos, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the one from last year when you were talking about the new channel and how you were frustrated because YouTube was (laughs) shedding subscribers for you. And I have a theory of maybe why that was happening, but you made a very good point that resonated with me a lot, Megan. And to summarize, basically, you were saying it's more about quality than quantity. You really want to have a relationship with your subscribers. You don't want someone to just come and watch a video and leave. And then, you know, it sounds like you would much rather have 50,000 followers instead of one video with a million views and no other videos. You'd yes. rather have that like relationship with an ongoing relationship with people. And that really resonated with me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like 
you know, the people that they make a living off of YouTube ads, those are the people that like, they have to hustle, you know, they got to crank oh, out videos. They're focused on views. They're not focused mm-hmm. on creating content that's helpful for people. They're just focused on like, what is going to get views. Clickbait. Yeah. Oftentimes, not yeah. always, but oftentimes. No, it's, you're right. It's, it's, it is oftentimes clickbait. And what you're making arguably could be called the opposite of clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way. Heart, heart, heart bait. Heart no, bait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's really a passion of mine to share truly helpful information. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people, what I see on YouTube, even within my own field of vegan, raw vegan, there's still like, Pardon my French, but hella clickbait. They I think that was your Californian. I like Californian, that. yeah. It's it's insane. Just you know, people will will just have an idea and immediately make a video about it without having yeah. done a lot of like research, experience, whatever. There's a lot of opinions <laughs> flying and people don't really yeah. they're not patient, you know? They don't yeah. they hear information and they immediately act on it. Yeah. I really like to like sit with stuff and absorb it mm. or like try mm. something for a period of time before I share about it. Or mm. there's uh, what I see, which is kind of disturbing to me is a lot of people use YouTube, social media in general as an outlet for their current emotions. And yeah, I think it's a bit distasteful and Yeah, because emotions change constantly. And then you just put that out to the world. And now that's permanent. That's out there forever. Even if you delete Mm -hmm. the video, somebody could have downloaded it. It is in the ethers forever. Mm -hmm. Because the internet mistakes are forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I try not to do that as much as I can. You know, I definitely like that video where I was sharing that I was frustrated. It's like, yeah, I was frustrated about that for a year before I talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I could feel that was very deliberate. You were it was so deliberate. And I I love that. I think that's one of the reasons why I was attracted to your work is you don't just react. You have uh and that's sort of an introverted quality in a way to to, to you sit with something in your Sorry? I think that Joey has actually trained me in that because he's introverted and is that way. Because that is not my initial nature. And I think that was like something that got me in trouble when I was younger with, mm. with friends and with people is that I was very like my emotions were very volatile. And now mm. I can experience them still. But I like I know I know when I've calmed down and I know, <laughs> you know, OK, now I'm yeah. good. I can talk about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, cause initially, heck yeah, there's definitely moments where I'm like, I'm pissed about something. I want to make a video now. I want to put it up, <laughs> but it's like, you know, like Abe Lincoln, write the letter and mail it the next day, you know, don't, don't just like air your dirty laundry constantly every time you're having feelings. So that's one way that I've avoided a lot of drama, I think too, because that's another thing is, is a lot of drama. <laughs> too much drama on YouTube. No, I, I think when it comes to it, what you're talking about reminds me a lot of blogging. I was in the blogging world for a while mm. and there's this, I had a travel blog for, for years and oh. it was a great, it was a great process, <laughs> partly just to, just to get a lot more experience writing. I don't think my first book would have been nearly as good if I hadn't written, frankly, a lot of like crappy articles. Got to get a lot of crap out. I'm sure <laughs> that it's sort of true with video too. Like you need to make a lot of videos before you really hit your stride. 
and figure out your, you know, the way to articulate your unique style in a way that you feel you can show and be proud of. I, I, that's sort of a question too, is how, how is that process for you just figuring out your own visual style in the sense of how you like to edit things and your own expectations of your work? Yeah, that's a good question. I, mean, I that's a process. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of different parts to it. There's like, how do I want to like portray myself on video? Like, who do I want to be? Do I want to be me? Do I want to be an edited version of me? Do I want to be like the full range of me? You know, some people, a lot of people have gotten really good at sharing the full range of themselves and just like yeah. being uber emotional and whatever on camera. Yeah. And I think that some part of that is really good because we want to show our humanness and, and help people to connect to us. And, um, that's helpful, but some of it, as I was saying before, I don't think is in the best taste. So yeah, that's something that I, that I think about in the pre-filming thing of, of how can I really be authentic to myself, but be an edited clean version of myself? Because in my day-to-day life, I, you know, drop a few curse words and I can be emotional and whatever, but I don't need to bring that to the camera every time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being fake. It just means that I'm being professional in my opinion. I would agree with that. Yeah. Because there's like, you know, some of that stuff can be distracting to the ultimate material that you're trying to share. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think about. And I usually will outline videos before I do them, unless it's a recipe video, then I'm just kind of like winging it the whole time. I just kind of, <laughs> yeah. I kind of know what I'm doing and yeah. I've done a lot of like in-person demos. And so it's like, just like I'm doing that. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. a nonstop until we're blending. We have a few cuts and stuff. They're fun to watch too. Thanks. Even if you don't have all the ingredients, you're like, well, I'm just going to get inspired and look at this and then you get really hungry. <laughs> I, and I try, I try to use a lot of ingredients because like I have a lot of cool tropical fruits and veggies that I could use out here, but I don't yeah. really use them in my videos because I know most people don't have okay. access to them. We're going to need an ulu. We're yes. going to need a couple mama sapote. Everyone's like, what the heck is this? Yeah. I should also probably warn you, I, I made the mistake of marking this podcast as clean. <laughs> no, I, I do try to keep this podcast clean. I think Hella is okay. I think so. <laughs> but since you since you brought it up earlier and you reminded me again, um, yeah, nobody's perfect. And I think uh, wasn't there a study that came out that uh, people who swear are on average a little more intelligent? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's confirmation bias. I'm sure everyone will, yeah, want to agree with that. Everyone's like beep, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I would say Joey is probably one of the most intelligent people that I know, and mm. he definitely has a few choice words that he likes to use regularly. But they're almost like, it's almost comical. Like when he's working and something gets messed up, it's just like, oh, uh, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then he's just like, uh, uh, whatever. You know, it's kind of just funny. <laughs> it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting, like, thing in language. Like, profanity is very interesting from like a psychological point of view. And sometimes people say stuff and it's like, it has like kind of a cello like quality to it. They have like this, they got the cadence of it right. But some people get really, uh, some people really, really bothers them. And that's why I think it's a good idea when you speak about professionalism to try and keep it cleaner for the, the YouTube. Because that is your, your business and you want to reflect well on yourself and be professional. And there might be people who completely just turn you off, exactly. you know, yeah. even if you say, do you say hella on your, on your, how bad do you get? <laughs> I might. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes. 
sometimes if I do, if I end up cursing in a video or something like that, I will say it. I will like let mm-hmm. people know sometimes in the description, but I think it's very, very rare. But I'm aware mm-hmm. that there's families with kids that watch me too. Yeah. It's not the majority of my audience, but now that I'm in my 30s, a lot of people who started watching me, you know, six years ago or something, you know, maybe they're having kids now. And so they're watching me with their kids and I want to make sure mm-hmm. I keep it as clean as possible for them. And huh. Yeah, so that's something I like to consider. That's very self-aware, Megan. I would not even have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I guess it's just uh, I see it in the comments and type of questions that I get asked and things like that now. So There's more like family things coming up than there were in the past? Yeah, and I, and I can also just see the way that the, that the YouTube audience in general in the vegan movement is moving where mm-hmm. family videos, people with kids, they get a lot of views and they do really well when they're sharing like kid focused recipes and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, I don't have kids, but maybe I'll share some kids recipes. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a lot of fun. I mean, it's so rewarding to teach kids how to like, first of first of all, how to cook basic stuff, as long as they're, you know, old enough to not light their hand on fire. It can be really empowering. I think a lot of kids, aren't empowered with that. You know, maybe both their parents are working and I mean, everyone's life's different, but I meet people who just didn't learn how to cook anything. Yeah. Um, and they just like, don't even know anything. like, like what different fruits and vegetables are. I remember I didn't yeah. know what an avocado was. Like I was eating guacamole my whole life. I didn't know what an avocado was until I was a teenager. Really? Yeah. It's funny that hmm. we're just not exposed okay. to it. I only ever, ever had it prepared for me at a restaurant. I had never made my own guacamole. I had no reason to buy an avocado. Well, I would say that's like a higher level of difficulty too. I swear like half the time I get an avocado, it's, I got to wait longer or it goes bad. It's probably because I'm not near where the avocados are growing right now though. So that makes it much more difficult. Right. <laughs> that was one of the things that was amazing about Hawaii was you sometimes you just find avocado on the side of the road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so many varieties too. There's so many different types, so types to try ways. and they're just, they're growing year round. Yeah. So it sounds like you've really had a long experience with YouTube and seen how YouTube has changed. And I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but I, you're approaching it differently. It sounds like than you have in the past where you see it more as, almost like a way to generate really good referrals in one way. I mean, it's a lot of fun to, to share this stuff, but you do vegan coaching too. And you do these awesome vegan retreats. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how, how the process of that is. And is that how you look at YouTube these days? Is just a way to attract the right people to stuff that will actually be more financially sustainable. And then we should talk about food sustainability too. Hmm, Yeah. Okay. So just like a brief timeline, the way that my business used to work when I first started it uh, with YouTube is it took about a year, I would say to become financially sustainable for me uh, doing YouTube videos. And my main income source was selling eBooks. My first, I'd say my first three books that I released did really well in sustaining me financially. Uh, that was the majority awesome. of my income. So I, I've never been somebody who made 
the majority of my income from YouTube advertising. It was always like a nice, fun little bonus, but it wasn't something that I focused on. So I wasn't like view focused. Mm -hmm. And so from the beginning, that's been helpful for me because when YouTube changes their algorithms, when they change their, how much they pay for their advertising things like that, I'm not as affected by that as other people are. So there definitely was a change for me when a lot of other people like Harley and Freely came on the scene in the vegan movement, um, mm-hmm. during writer on YouTube. And he started to encourage people to do videos. He started to encourage a lot of people to do videos. And so people did a lot of, mm. a lot of people started doing videos at one time. And then, you know, a few people started to rise out of this crowd of people doing videos. Right. And a bunch of people started to make ebooks, get a little bit more smart with their online marketing. And that's something that Joey and I used to teach as well. We would talk about how to make money online. We did classes at it at Woodstock. And someone who came to one of my classes is Elise from Raw Alignment. And she learned how, really? yeah, she learned how to like, you know, kind of set up an online business sort of and do YouTube videos and got inspired to want to live in Hawaii. And so now she like lives out here. She's one of our friends and she ended up having a viral video and blowing up on YouTube. Was that the dread dreads one? The dread video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I am familiar cool. with the lease. It's a, I got to make a darn vision board to, to figure out all these connections. It's, it's such a interconnected web. Yeah. I didn't realize that you had, we should talk about what the Woodstock fruit festival is for a second too, but it's, I didn't realize that you taught a class there on, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So two years in a row, Joey and I taught classes about, uh, we talked, one of the classes was about how to like grow an audience online. And then the mm-hmm. other class was about just different camera equipment, the lights that we use, things like that. And so the combination, I think of us doing that and Harley, like telling people to just like crank out videos, there was this like bloom of YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And we also, you know, shared that the majority of my money came from eBooks. And I'm not saying that I'm the one that made everybody make an eBook, but uh, <laughs> definitely people looked at that and they were like, oh, I can make an eBook too. And so a lot of people started to have their own yeah. recipe books and different things like that. Were you definitely one of the earlier, yeah, vegan YouTube channels? Yeah, I had, I had almost no competition when I first started. <sighs> so I went from having like no competition to just having like a lot of competition. And, um, it kind of just got spread out a little bit more. So whatever money I was making from eBooks, right. it, because there's just more variety available, you know, it just kind of gets spread out between different people. So I needed to change the way that my business works. And one of the things that I started doing was doing more coaching. And mm-hmm. so that went really well for a while. And, uh, I do it on and off because mm-hmm. it is, I think, being a kind of empathetic person, I, I struggle with just doing that constantly because I do get really invested and involved with the people that I work with. And so I can't just be like having a bunch of clients at one time or doing it continuously. I need to take breaks from it. So every once in a while, I'll kind of like let people know like, Hey, I'm doing coaching for a couple months. Like, you know, hmm. sign up. What? I really relate to that. I would, I would start to get attached to, <laughs> I mean, I'm not perfect. I would start to get attached to like, I really want this person to do well. Mm-hmm. And if they're struggling, you know, we already deal with that in our social relationships. Hopefully we have friends with people who have a net positive effect with us. Mm-hmm. But when there's a money exchange and you're coaching the person, did you find it difficult to create good boundaries around that too? So you could 
continue to have a balance after that. I could definitely see myself getting attached to someone's situation if they were hiring me to, to coach them for something like that. Um, I have pretty good boundaries, but I always just, yeah, I just feel like very invested in it. Mm-hmm. And it's also just kind of time consuming. So it's not something I can do when I'm traveling because mm-hmm. I will have many days where I'm just like, you know, off the internet. And right. that's another reason too, why I kind of go on and off with it because I need to be, especially if somebody signs up for like two months straight of coaching, like I need to be in one place for a while. And how often would that be if they signed up for two months of coaching? How does that work? Uh, like how often do we work together or? Yeah. Yeah. You said it's a time commitment. So yeah. So basically I'm available by email throughout the week for people. I will set people up an initial program depending on what their goals are, whether it's fitness goals or um, diet, if they're struggling with eating disorder, they want to lose weight or they have specific health issues. Um, We'll also do like a consultation about their health history and also see if there's any nutritional supplements that they might want to incorporate based on what their symptoms are and stuff. So we do an initial setup, then we do email throughout the week, and then there's one Skype call per week. And then when you start to add multiple people to that, I'm sure it gets interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a thing that I do like when I'm not working on other projects, basically, and not traveling. And um, yeah, but I enjoy doing it. I get a lot of... I'm sure it can be very rewarding. Yeah. It's very rewarding to to work with people. And it always helps me to learn more too. Mm. It kind of reminds me of, I do a lot of like one-on-one computer consulting and like... Mm -hmm. Apple consulting. And it's really funny what I get pushed to learn that I didn't, you know, right. when you're helping someone one-on-one, you're like, I hadn't even thought of that before. <laughs> That's good to know that you do Apple consulting because that may need help with things. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a lot, of, a lot of Apple stuff. Um, I've been using Mac since 1994, but yeah, that's, I, I consult other things too, but cool. we can, we can talk about that later, but, um, I don't want to get, there's still other things that are, there's other things that I want to, I'd love to talk to you about, but yeah. So the, the only other thing that I'm, one of my biggest things is just the retreats now. And so that's something that I've started doing in the past few years because I love the immersion of it. Like I love that people just get this kind of like healing immersion experience, this like reconnection with nature. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I I'm social. I love to be with people. I love to meet the people that have been watching my videos and commenting and stuff. And it's so easy mm. often to make friendships out of it. And I just love yeah. to, I basically get to just design an amazing mm. vacation for people Yeah, and then go on it myself and experience it with <laughs> them and support them through it. And it's just incredible. So I just finished one on Tuesday. How many days is that? Yeah. Describe that to me. I was curious like how that works. Um, it looks like your website is being rebuilt right now. So there's maybe not as much information as it used to be. Yes. I'm cu- I'm curious, like, how does that work? How many days is it? Where do they sleep? And yeah, what what do you offer with the, the retreats? I'm intrigued. Yeah. So my actual main page is what's being rebuilt right now. But my coaching page and my retreats page and my book page, they are all still active. So it's like... Uh, all I could find was your book page. Yeah. So if you go to meganelizabeth.com slash either books, retreats, or coaching... Um, they all are functional. So the retreats page, uh, for the last retreat that we just did is still up. If anybody is curious to, to check it out, it kind of describes all the different stuff that we do. But, um, on this particular retreat, I paired with my friend, Christine, 
who has a vegan fitness channel. Oh, Christine Salas? Mm-hmm. Her name has been coming up in these interviews. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's one of my really good friends, and um, I love her. I love to work with her, and she's very easy. She is an INFJ personality type. Ah. And uh, so we make a really good match. And and maybe people, if they look into the personality types, you can look up a chart that shows which other personality types you would pair best with. And so I find mm-hmm. that often a lot of the really close relationships that I had before I even knew about this stuff, when I looked yep. up the personalities, I was like, oh, my gosh, these are all like my ideal pairs. And it's a range, yep. <laughs> it's a scale, to scale all the way from red to, you know, yellow to like green and then like blue is the best. Yeah. So I worked with her and the retreat is a week long. It's like, uh, eight days technically like, you know, so we did Tuesday to Tuesday this time and we are doing like yoga or like a very short kind of warm up, sort of like hit workout in the morning. We have an awesome breakfast every day. Um, that's usually just very simple whole foods. There will always be like a raw, basic, like a mostly raw option and a cooked mm-hmm. option at every meal that we have. So at every meal, you get an option. Pretty much. Um, we have like, a, that's really cool. You can do like the fruit smoothie and the salads. Uh, sometimes Ooh. we'll have like salad and a nori wrap or coconut wrap, things like that. Uh, Is there a Vitamix involved? Is there a Vitamix available? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if people want to just eat straight up fruit, too, we basically have like cut up fruit available at every meal because there's so many different awesome fruits to eat out here. Stuff that people have never even seen or heard of that tastes like marshmallows that's vegan or, you know. Yes. I don't even. (laughs) Basically, each day we're kind of featuring different tropical fruits that people would never have had before. So we have we put out like this past retreat, we put out soursop. I think we had mm, papayas every day, soft. apple bananas, rambutans, long guns. Making me hungry, Megan. Making <laughs> me hungry. Sorry. I but, haven't uh, eaten in almost three hours. Ooh. So. <laughs> yeah. So the breakfast, we usually do like oatmeals and just like really cool different like dips and mm. hummus and stuff for lunch. We try to keep it really satisfying throughout mm-hmm. the days and mm-hmm. at night we just have like a really great time with our food we have like really super fun comfort foods we make really healthy vegan pizzas um falafels we'll have like mexican taco night vegan and pizza sounds yeah all different stuff sometimes we have a couple days that we'll do like oat pancakes for breakfast and stuff and smoothie bowls. So it's just a lot of fun. We have a really great time with food. And then we also are just staying really active. Mm-hmm. So during the day, we're either going to the beach or going on a hike. Last time we did zip lining. Um, sometimes we'll Ooh. take like a, I don't really like to do the dolphin and whale tours. Why is that? I feel like the dolphin tours are kind of like, harassing the dolphins a bit like just like chasing Mm. them down and then throwing a bunch of people in the water like going after them it's just kind of i don't know i feel like it's kind of stressful for them it's kind of aggressive yeah i feel like if you just like go somewhere and you have the intention of like Mm -hmm. swimming with dolphins you kind of just need to like go from the shore and meet them and do it in a different way not like just attacking them in a boat so Mm. 
one of the tours that I will take people on sometimes is a nighttime manta ray swim because I almost went on that. Yeah, it's really cool. Here it's amazing. You're just kind of like floating above them and there's a light that attracts plankton and the manta rays are coming to you because they want to eat the plankton that's attracted to the light. So it's sort of a symbiotic uh, situation. And that's why I feel okay with occasionally doing that one. But hmm. this last time we did zip lining and it was so amazing. We zip lined over, it was like 450 feet up above this waterfall and this valley. And it was really incredible. So people really get to like reconnect with nature out here too. And I just love getting to facilitate that. Was that the same one that I think Elise did a live video? Probably. That is an amazing track because you're yeah. going over this verdant, thick forest and there's like a waterfall below you and you can spin around. And although it was, <laughs> I probably shouldn't mention this, but it was really, here's what's great about Instagram and we should touch on social media just because it's a big part of our lives now. What's great about Instagram though, when you're watching a live video is sometimes things happen that are not expected because it's live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is amazing and i'm watching <laughs> it's so terrible to elise because she's so light uh got stuck in the middle of the line yeah and <laughs> she was like crap and she was hanging over hanging over this ravine and someone had to come out it was okay but it was just one of those like unexpected uh yeah i could see that would be really uncomfortable <laughs> and scary just like sitting there above that i felt so bad like now now she's gonna be stuck there i don't know how long <laughs> but luckily it was only a couple minutes but it was just such a funny thing to watch live so if you're really light be careful you got to get a running start yeah, on wear, zip lines. Wear, wear a weighted vest. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking like Elise is like under a hundred pounds and she's yeah. like five feet. So thank you for yeah, we, we should preface that. She's like child size, so it's she's, she's, definitely she's a pocket sized human. Specific to her. And it didn't really happen to anybody on our retreat. Um <laughs> except for there was like one line that was kinda like flat and uh yeah. a few people got stuck on that. But yeah, it you got to use gravity. But the retreats are fun. And so that's a really nice way to make income. And so mm -hmm. you were asking me about the YouTube channel, about like mm -hmm. how I view it now. Yeah. And so, yes, for me, I've always seen the channel as like, hey, YouTube is like a really great place to basically mm -hmm. do free advertisement. And I don't mean advertisement in like, a, you know, I just want to be pitching stuff all the time, but it's, it's a great place to build an audience and mm -hmm. share information and, you know, get people to, to join you for things or get people to, you know, try your recipes and enjoy them and, and buy a book. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I love YouTube for that thing, but it's also, it's also gotten a little bit crazy. And so I've had to step back emotionally mm -hmm. in certain ways and just be like, you know what, this is just. I just need to keep being me and doing me and not worrying about what other people are doing, which is something that I generally try to do, but it's, it's kind of easy to get caught up in. Yeah. It's tough when you're in a, what feels like a treadmill. I, I was talking to a friend yesterday about how I feel like there's all these different kinds of treadmills. I mean, in blogging, you know, to get rankings in Google, you felt like you had to publish like five days a week. And I could, I, I never really wanted to do that. And I did it my way and I ended up growing an audience, but you know, it's like, Pick your treadmill. I mean, even Kindle yeah. authors, which I'm also a Kindle author, is like oh, cool. you're expected to publish a novel-sized thing, every, like clockwork, every 12 months or less. 
that's just not going to happen with me. Right. That's not how my brain's built. And YouTube also feels like a treadmill to me. So it's encouraging to see that you're really taking back your power in that and going, I'm going to use this for my advantage. I'm not going to let this turn me into something that I'm not. And just going with your, you know, as my friend would say, following your path with the heart Yeah. in that. And when you, when you design your, your business to work in a way that is not dependent on views, like the number of views, yeah. it's more so just dependent on having like a small audience that is loyal and trusts you and mm-hmm. likes you. Yeah. Then it can be very different than the people that are just looking for clickbait and views. So my business can thrive even with a smaller audience simply because I'm not dependent on ad money basically. Yeah. It sounds a lot more, um, durable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had a question about your eBooks and we're definitely link your eBook page in the show notes. People should check out your books. They're beautiful okay. and Thanks. they have delicious, delicious <laughs> food. so much delicious food and you can get all of them. You get a whole package, five eBooks now. Yeah. Get a package thing. Have you tr- experimented with putting them on any of the major ebook stores? I'm curious what your experience has been with that. Of you can definitely sell direct, but have you tried the? You know, I just feel like uh, random people are probably not going to be inclined to buy that kind of stuff. So it's more just mm-hmm. everyone is coming from my channel anyway. So selling them yeah. direct from my website is is where I would make 99% of my money anyway. So it's not really worth the effort of setting up that other kind of stuff. And even with my physical books that I have. Um, mm-hmm. some of the ones that are eBooks, I also have physical books of, again, my audience are, those are the people that are buying it for the most part. So it's not worth setting up for me to try to get my books in different stores and distributors and things like that. And I'm not worried about looking official or legit or whatever. You right. know, it's like if, if someone connects with me and they like the information I'm sharing in my videos, there's more of it more in depth, um, in the books. And that's, what it is so we got to get to one question before we wrap up okay which is you know this was coming i don't even so, know what it is <laughs> <laughs> well i mentioned it earlier the 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 elephant in the room social media right. something that we all have a love hate relationship with mm-hmm. it's part of everybody's lives now and how do you find balance with social media it seems like you uh, you post some good stories on instagram that i really enjoy but you also have a, a youtube uh, channel, which is kind of a social media in a way, and you also have the Facebook. How do you find balance? <laughs> right. Okay. So <laughs> how much I, time do you put in? I see a lot of people that are in a similar position to me, just try, like they do everything. And and some people are really good at it. They're like on Pinterest, they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're on YouTube. I can't do that. I can't manage that kind of stuff. It's not enjoyable for me. I don't like to be working 24 seven and I don't enjoy being stressed out. So yep. for me, my two main focuses are just YouTube is number one and Instagram would come second to that. And I've, mm-hmm. I have definitely, um, pulled back on Instagram because as they change the algorithms, it does get harder to grow and I'm not willing to, to change and mm-hmm. hustle just to get a bigger number on my mm. Instagram. It's just, it's not worth it. I have 20,000 people right now how many more people do I need to follow me? Like it, it doesn't really, but everyone should follow you. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, it's, it's great. But I also like, I'm not going to hustle for it. Like the people that want right. to find me no, and that you. connect with me, they will find me. And you have to be posting like 
three to four times a day now yeah. in order to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not into just making content because for content's sake. For content's sake. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm, I need mm-hmm. to be inspired. And there's there's times when I'm like posting every day for a week. And then there's times where I don't post for a week because I just mm-hmm. don't have anything to say or, or I don't have a cool mm-hmm. picture to post. And that's just the way it is. And I don't want to be feeding into this system of like, oh, my gosh, I got to get a post up. You know, and then yeah. I got to write this like big, long, dramatic thing with the post. Like, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not me, not my style. And some people won't like it and some people will. But YouTube is my main focus. Right. Because I like to talk, as you can tell. And you do, too, <laughs> you know, because we've been talking for so long now. I enjoy the the deeper connection that happens with YouTube. Yeah. Not just like with interacting with my own audience, but I enjoy being able to give somebody else the opportunity for deeper connection with somebody mm. because I think that's something that's kind of lacking and Instagram can be a little bit fake sometimes mm-hmm. and superficial. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to like share genuine authenticness and good information through YouTube. And honestly, Facebook is, like, I, I really don't even give a crap about Facebook. It's, I'm just going to be honest. Um, it's very different the way that Facebook works. You know, I have like probably 30,000 yeah. people yeah. that are following me on Facebook, but yep. It doesn't mean anything. You have to pay. Not really. You have to pay to get people to see stuff on Facebook. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I literally just have the Facebook because I need to have it in order to have certain other programs and connections and to use it for Messenger and stuff. So I created a right. business one and a personal one. But honestly, I don't really post much on either of them. And anything that gets posted on my channel, on my pages there is just getting reposted from Instagram. It's just hooked up. Yep. Me too. So don't follow me on Facebook. Instagram, Don't. YouTube are the ways to go. I think you have a really good point about Instagram. Instagram is really fun, but it doesn't have the depth of, I mean, if the live video, now that we can do things that are like even a half an hour, sometimes I'll just like, I'm going to do a funny live video. And Yeah. I love that stuff. I love that. And I love the stories. They're great. They're really fun. Yeah. That's the most depth you get. But I, yeah, that that's one thing I love about podcasting is with a conversation like this, I really feel you can go so much yeah. deeper and get more valuable information. It's kind of like when you do a longer video, it's very much like that actually, where you're able to get some depth and and it's not just surface level. It's actually something that is meaningful. And that's a really good point. Like, you know, sometimes I do do longer videos and they do get really in depth and some people watch them and they're like, Oh my God, like, thank you so much for this information. I was struggling this Mm -hmm. thing with this exact thing. And that's amazing, but they're not going to get the views. And so you have to be, you have to Mm -hmm. disconnect yourself from like creating your own self-worth with how many views you get, how many likes you get, how many followers you have and focus on the people that are giving you the, the feedback. Like, what is your feedback? Like, don't look at the numbers, just look at the feedback. Yeah. Know your audience, serve your actual audience. Your actual audience that really cares about what you're doing uh, might be 20% or 10% of that follower count, but those people might be influential. They might, you know, or they might just be the ones willing to give you, (laughs) give you their money and support that. There's kind of a old saying in um, publishing or not, maybe not that old that you don't really need to be a bestseller to write full time. You just need 10,000 really, really big fans. Yeah, you just need a dedicated. And then you can do it. And yeah. You can do it. So uh, I did want to touch on one thing that you're, you're talking about, hustle, which I think is, a, is something of a background theme, is do you feel that 
the idea of hustle has changed in your 30s compared to in your 20s. There's definitely a little bit of a, I mean, being raw vegan definitely helps with energy, but there's a bit of, um, at least I'm finding, <laughs> there's a little bit of um, a hustle difference. You think about hustle differently in your 30s than in your 20s. I would say that I I feel like I hustle more now, but it's, it's because I... I guess because I'm older and I take things more seriously, you know, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. that's it. You know, when I was younger and I started my YouTube channel and things kind of like grew really quickly, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is so great. It's going to be like this forever. And then like you actually, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, boom, welcome to the real world. And so yeah. that's, that is something that um, has definitely inspired me to be more focused and to put in more hours and to be more, more selective with where those hours are going. Although, yes, I do hustle more. I wouldn't say that I am really a hustler. <laughs> I am very much focused on time freedom and, and figuring mm. out what places I can put my time to um, have the best results. And I get a lot of that inspiration to be like that from Joey because he's very smart with working with my business and helping me to, to focus on what's actually really important because my personality type, I have like... 20 ideas a day for like different stuff that I'm excited (laughs) to do. And so Mm -hmm. I need, I'm a starter and I need a finisher and I need a focuser because I'm a spontaneous all over the place kind of (laughs) person. That's actually something that Drew and I talked about how he was saying he's more of a a starter P type. Yeah. And (laughs) he said that like three out of the four or five people in that house are the same personality type. Yes. And there's what three. that must be like. <laughs> there's three of us. Yeah. I mean, it's always, there's always a lot of conversation. That's for sure. Drew and I have a kind of a, a thing too, where we just like get talking and it's hard. We have to be like, okay, we need to stop talking. We need to go back to work. <laughs> but yeah, we all kind of like randomly meet in the kitchen when we're making food sometimes. And, and um, yeah, it's nice living with extroverted people. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so there's three ENFPs and one ENFJ and we get along very well. That's a lot of extroversion. It's a lot of extroversion, but it works really <laughs> well because we all do have our own like lives and things going on. And, right, right. Something that I really enjoy about living with people is that I get to have social interaction when I want it and I get to like go in my room and shut it off when I don't want it. And I don't have to be like planning social stuff as much to mm-hmm, get my social mm-hmm. time because that's something I really struggled with when it was just Joey and I living together. I feel like... In this day and age, a lot of people are more uh, wishy-washy with making commitments and plans. And Yeah, t- tell me about it. And I found that it was just challenging for me to enjoy the whole process of like knowing that I need social time, but struggling to set up exact times and dates to hang out with people or to do things. Yeah. So it's really nice. Coordinating schedules. Yeah, coordinating schedules is challenging. So yeah. it's nice to just have someone here and be like, hey, I'm going to go do this. You want to go with me? Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So. Or do you want to shoot a hilarious taste test video? Right. <laughs> Those okay. are pretty funny. The vegan ice cream one. I love the taste test. They're so funny. <laughs> I really enjoy those. I'll have to link that up in the show notes too. There's, It's just fine to see. You never know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's delicious. Sometimes it's terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Probably one of the worst tasting things was that Wink ice cream. Was that the one that was coffee? Yeah. If you ever get a chance, if you ever see Wink, it's probably discontinued at this point because we just like Wink. Just destroyed it. Um, 
it's like free of everything, free of dairy, soy, sugar, blah. It's also free of good taste. And taste. Substance. It's free of substance. Fulfillment. It was Happiness. weird. It was like eating like weird coffee flavored fluffy dish soap. It was <laughs> anyway, that was a funny video. But if you want to try some really gross vegan ice cream, the brand is Wink. Wink, Wink. I liked, um, what's the one? Coconut Bliss is pretty good. Coconut Bliss is great. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that one. I used to get, I used to get that, um, cause that's available all over. But now that Nikoko, I'm going to plug them cause I really like their vegan gelato. Mm-hmm. They're in all the stores now. So it's like, well, I don't get, I don't have to buy vegan coconut bliss anymore. Yeah. Their stuff's great. Cause their stuff is local. Like so much of that stuff's being grown on the Island. How much of, uh, how much do you try to focus on eating? I mean, I guess it's not that hard when you, there's a farmer's market just about every day in Hilo. So mm-hmm. much of that stuff is just grown by default. But when you were getting into veganism, how much of that was about sustainability? And It was more of a health perspective. Like when I actually went vegan, I always okay. had a, a sense of animal rights and a connection with animals. But I really d- truly didn't understand what was going on until after I was already vegan. I watched the documentary Peaceable Kingdom. Peaceable Kingdom. Yeah, it's a very good one. That's not like super violent and brutal. Like watching Earthlings is, I think just so yeah. emotionally disturbing for some people yeah, and could be traumatizing. And so I, I feel like a uh, peaceful kingdom, you get the information and you get a little bit of a, a peek into what's going on. Um, but it's more focused on the connection with animals. And so that one really hmm. touched me. And after I was already raw vegan, I, I then I started oh, okay. to really have that deeper connection. I'll have to put that in the show. I haven't seen that one yet. So I'll have to check that out. But in terms of just, sustainability it's such a great place to live for yeah for having something it's like right there definitely i try as much as possible there's like certain things that you just you know can't get local um but i Mm -hmm. try to i mean basically all my fruit that i'm eating except for a little bit of frozen fruit is from costco but all of my fresh fruit that i eat is local i really would never eat anything non-local on a regular basis what's your main reason for that i can guess but i'm like to hear you say it uh, I just feel like the nutritional value of it is better here. Yeah, definitely. When you ship stuff, you have to pick it like way too early and the ripeness is not the same as if you, you pick it really <laughs> ready. I miss the bananas there. We're coming up on two hours and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, kind of wrapping things up. Do you have any advice for people who want to start their own conscious business? You know, a business that is financially sustainable, but also is helping the world, actually making an impact, mm-hmm. you know, changing people's lives. Do you have any advice for people who want to do that in their own lives? I absolutely do have advice. Uh, I would say that just like with any business to look at where there is a need that you can fill, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they see what other people are doing and they get inspired by it and they want to do the same thing, but that's not necessarily the best way to build a business or be unique. So mm-hmm. I'd say the best thing is to, to look for look for a need or a problem that you can solve and try and fill that and do it in a way that is inspiring and works well for your personal skill set. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. I think I see people and I meet a lot of people who have trouble and I've had trouble, frankly, um, finding a place where all those things overlap, you know, yeah. something that you're, you're passionate about. 
um, that you're good at <laughs> or can get good at. I mean, I think that's the easiest one is you can build skill in anything if you really want to. Right. But also something that people need, you know, something that serves the world. And when you can have all three of those line up, then you can, then you can make money doing something you enjoy. Yeah. And, and, you know, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. There's, yep. there's different terms. Uh, I use the term that I learned from Joey and some different marketing things that we've went to, uh, a term called intrapreneur, which is somebody who kind of assists an entrepreneur. So if you feel inspired by somebody and they have a successful business, you don't necessarily even need to go and create your own thing unless that's something that you know deep down inside, like I need to have my own business. If you're inspired by what somebody's doing and you want to help that cause, you can work for a small business or a small Mm -hmm. entrepreneur Mm -hmm. um, or someone who has a YouTube channel and assist them Mm -hmm in making that message get out there and be inspired by that. Or consult for a couple of those that you believe in Mm -hmm. or more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. This kind of segues really well into my second to last bit, which is how do you see conscious businesses and sustainable businesses sort of evolving and changing in the coming years? You know, we see that YouTube has really changed. We see, that more and more people are getting into, I think Drew said that demand for vegan food is like quintupled in the last like two years or something like that. Mm-hmm. How do you see it changing in the future since you've been in this for a long time now? In general, I feel like there's, there's so many things being created to support the environment in ways that we can make a business more sustainable. So even like a brick and mortar business, I feel like customers are demanding more sustainable products and more sustainable just solutions Mm -hmm. for things. And Mm -hmm. I feel like people we're getting to a place where people are becoming more willing to pay slightly more for something that sits better on their conscience. Mm -hmm. And so even just a business like saying like, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to have to raise our, our smoothies by 50 cents or whatever, but we're going to make it more sustainable. We're going to make these changes, whatever. I just feel like people are really um, waking up a lot more in every aspect, environmental, spiritual, social communication and sustainability. And yeah, I think we're just going to see a lot of changes and there's a lot of really great businesses that are creating higher standards and that are amazing. And Mm -hmm. it's going to make it easier for, for other businesses to jump on board. And so it's great that they're pioneering that stuff. So I feel like we're going to see a lot of that and yeah, just veganism in Mm. general Mm. plant-based, you know, I, I used to be very, uh, focused on actually, can you hang on one second? Sure. We're, we're both talkers. I'm just loving, <laughs> loving talking. <laughs> okay. You still there? Sorry about that. I'm still there. I, I, had, I had somebody, um, a friend coming to pick up some cases of citrus. Yeah, I, but we're good. I, I'm so sorry if this went on longer than you. No, I, I knew that it was good. That's why I, I left <laughs> two hours because I was like, you know, I feel like we're going to be able to talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're smart. You're obviously very, very smart woman. And <laughs> <laughs> and that was wise. And yes, I heard. <laughs> I might have to put it in the, the, the final cut of the show. Just what I, your mic picked up what you said and I couldn't help but laugh. Oh, we're just having fun talking and just we're just, you know, hashing it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so where was I? I you were saying that you were excited to see that people were putting more money into sustainable 
business and then you were going to say something about veganism. I feel like the vegan movement is definitely growing and my opinions on it and way that I feel about it has changed. When I first went vegan, I was very kind of like hardcore aggressive vegan, which I think a lot of people tend to be when they first go vegan because you're like, yeah. you're so outraged by this information that you just learned. <laughs> and then as the years go yeah. on, you become again, like slightly desensitized to it. I mean, I still have my moral mm. standards and, and things, but mm. I also, I have seen people need to experiment with different things, bringing in and out animal products for different reasons. And it's not mm. something that I recommend for people to do, but I definitely have become more sensitive to it where I'm not like, you know, judging or attacking people for, for needing to try different things. Um, but always holding the hope that people realize that we're meant to eat a plant-based diet. So however 100% vegan you go, our mm. digestive tract is designed for, for plants. And so I yeah, think a lot long. of people are just really catching on to that and yeah. realizing that they feel better when they eat mostly vegan. So even if people aren't going completely vegan, I feel like a lot of people are realizing that having a lot of vegetables is really good and incorporating mm. fruits and there's a lot of like fad things that we're seeing that are actually just super helpful, like doing smoothie bowls, doing the pitaya bowl, yeah. the acai bowl, like it catches on because yeah. it's a health fad, but it's actually like, you know, it's, it gets people to eat more fruits and vegetables and, and that's really good. It's really good. And there are so many things, just thinking about what you said earlier, there's so many things about the human body that are adapted for plant-based food. I mean, we have molars that can grind plant, like carnivores don't have the kind of teeth that we have. I mean, and look at the length of the GI tract and look at people say, what do you say to people? Here's, here's, a, here's one thing. Did you ever get, oh, human beings should eat meat because we have these canine teeth. I just <laughs> don't like, feel like. Not really. That can tear plants too. <laughs> just because they're called canine teeth doesn't mean like we have a, like a, a canine mouth, you know, it's like. Exactly. It's, it's so, it's so, so different. Mm-hmm. It, it just was you, you're just reminding me of all these things I used to hear because my family was not supportive. I was like the only vegetarian in my family and I had a really big extended family mm-hmm. and I had to deal with so many questions as I'm guessing you had to deal with some protein based questions Absolutely. <laughs> and just like you're going to die questions and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold on now, which one of us has actually done research on this and which one of us is right. I mean, often if you answer a question with a question, they'll end the conversation right there. Mm -hmm. Well, are you getting enough protein? Like, well, I'm getting 50 grams of protein a day. How much are you getting? (laughs) Oh, you don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let me know when you know. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that plants have protein? Yeah. A lot of Americans, you know, don't realize that. No, and and I didn't either beforehand. You know, I can't expect people to know. But if someone is entering into a conversation for like to genuinely learn, you can usually feel that vibe. And if someone is entering into a conversation because they think they're right and that you're wrong and they want to try and prove that, then I usually won't entertain those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can feel that too, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But you know, I have to say, like overall, with my business and everything that I do, I try not to be like super overtly, you know, miss vegan. I, I really like to, <laughs> for me, it's more about like compassion, health, right. doing what's best for the planet, what's best for you, what's best for the animals and mm-hmm. whatever that turns out to look like for you is okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You give me a great segue here of something I actually wrote down. 
out of everything you've made, and you made a lot of made a lot of things at this point. So many. How many videos do you think you have? You have like. Oh no. A lot. <laughs> somewhere between a hundred and a million videos. Definitely somewhere Let's just say in you, there. <laughs> you, you have like nine hundred thousand videos. You have so many and you and you've got many, many ebooks. What do you say you're most proud of? This is something that I don't always have time to ask, but I'm curious in your cases. Mm. Or are you working on something now that you're really excited about? Or maybe the experience at the retreats is what you're most proud of. I would say yeah, I would say the videos, just yeah. the video content, the, my channel in general, both channels, like that's what I feel most proud of because I feel like you can go there as like a good resource place. That's what I want it to be for people of learning about a different experience that you're considering having or something that you're going through, different diets that you're wanting to try, cleanses, things like that. Hmm. I just want it to be like a good resource. And so all of the other materials that I create, like, yes, I definitely feel like solid and excited about them, but they're, they're just like more specialized in yeah. certain areas going deeper into recipes or whatever. But hmm. yeah, on my YouTube channels where I really share my, my heart, which is health information. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, uh, I think we've kind of come to the end of this very in-depth wide-ranging, beautiful interview. <laughs> um, is there anything that you would like to point people to specifically? Obviously, people should check out your YouTube channel, Megan Elizabeth, on YouTube. Um, yeah, I would just say, like, come visit me on YouTube. It's uh, just Megan Elizabeth, youtube.com slash Megan Elizabeth. And then uh, Instagram, if you want to check out my stories. I mean, I post cool photos sometimes, but not as consistently. But I'm usually pretty consistent with I'd say four or five days a week of doing different stories of what I'm up to throughout the day on Instagram. And that one's just Megan Elizabeth Hawaii. And yeah, I'd love for people to come out and join me for a retreat. Sounds like so much fun. We really just like pamper people. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> it's everything is just taken care of. You basically just book the retreat and we, we pick you up. We, we feed you, we show you all the cool places and you don't have to think mm. about where you're going, what you're going to mm. do. And, um, you know, and you make friends while you're there too. So it's a really cool experience. It sounds like if you're, if you're interested in veganism or, or if you're trying to be around more vegans or trying to experiment with being raw vegan, it's sort of like a way to do that without thinking about it too much because Absolutely. you're just going to be in that environment. Absolutely. Yeah. An immersion is like the, one of the best ways to start a, a new habit, a new healthy habit is to immerse yourself. And so that's, yeah, that's what we provide at the retreats. And, you know, you can go to other festivals as, as well, the Woodstock Fruit Festival to get support and make friends. And that's one of the best ways to continue a habit is to, to make friends that are also mm -hmm. uh, like-minded. It's true. It's so true. Who is it that said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with? I don't know who said it, but I've heard that as well. And I definitely believe yeah. It comes up. It comes up a lot. Well, I will let you go. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining me today. This has been a blast early. You are so welcome. That was super fun. Thank you for having me. Wow. That interview was a blast. I want to say a big mahalo once again to Megan for sharing so much with us. She is such a delightful person to talk to and a wonderful example of a conscious entrepreneur. Now, before I go, I want to remind you that if you enjoyed this interview, there are more. I work really, really hard on these, 
and there are more coming. iTunes is probably the easiest way to find them and get new ones right when they come out. Just search for Aravinda Show. That's A-R-A-V-I-N-D-A Show. And if you like Instagram, I'm Hello Crusoe on there. That's Hello, C-R-U-S-O-E. And I post samples of new interviews when they come out. So it's another way to make sure you don't miss an interview. Also, be sure to check out Megan on there too and see some of the gorgeous, easy-to-make vegan dishes that she shares. She is Megan Elizabeth Hawaii on Instagram, just how it sounds, Megan Elizabeth Hawaii. You can also check her out on YouTube. She is fantastic. She's just, her videos are actually amazing and gorgeous and well put together and inspiring. And she's really easy to find, just Megan Elizabeth on YouTube or MeganElizabeth.com, just as it sounds. Uh, of course, this will all be in the show notes for this episode over at Mythly, myth.li, that's M-I-T-H dot L-I. Go there and click on Aravinda Show to find the show notes for all the great interviews, as well as free samples of my books, including my upcoming book, 10,000 Hours in Paradise, a true story about my life-changing adventures on Hawaii. There are fantastic things in the future, and I can't wait to share them all with you. Once again, I'm Andrew Crusoe. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Aloha. Aloha.